We've been looking together at the words of Jesus from the cross. When I was uh, thinking about what we should do during Lent and uh, praying about it and God said to me yet again you should do the words from the cross and I just went no, not again, don't want to do that because they are so deep and so difficult in many ways and the one that keeps coming to mind and the one that I really feared preaching on more than anything else was today Jesus said the fourth word from the cross which is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We remember that Jesus was crucified at 9 o'clock in the morning and between 9 and 12 were the first three words. Do you remember what they were? First word from the cross? Father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then the second word was when he turned to the other robber that was there with him and he said today you will be with me in paradise. Then the third word was when he looked down at his mother and remember he said last week, well, well, last week, but you know we looked at it last week, he said, mother, your son, son, behold your mother. And from that day then John took Mary home uh, to, be with, to be with him. And then after that, we come to the passage that we're looking at today. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20, 27. Those first three words come between nine o'clock and lunchtime. And then Matthew 27, beginning at verse 45. Matthew 27, verse 45. It says, from the sixth hour, that's from lunchtime, until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. So there was this darkness that enveloped the whole country for three hours. And about the ninth hour, verse 46, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is one of the most complicated and deepest verses of all scripture. F.F. F. Bruce, the theologian, has written a book, I've got it at home, it says, it's called The Hard Sayings in the Gospels. And in it he takes 70 of the hardest sayings in the Gospels and he seeks to explain them. Number 70 in his book is this passage and he writes this. He says, this is the hardest of all the hard sayings. It is the last articular utterance of the crucified Jesus reported by Mark and Matthew. Soon afterwards, they say, with a loud cry, he breathed his last. And then he carries on a bit later. He says, this at least must be said. If it is a hard saying for the reader of the Gospels, it was hardest of all for our Lord himself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's hard because, well, for starters, what does it really mean? Does it mean that God, the Father, forsook his Son? In which case, does that then mean that the Trinity somehow split apart on the cross? 
That the, the, the Son was no longer connected to the Father and the Spirit. And what does that say about the Trinity? And the Trinity is complicated enough as it is, without adding this into it. And it's difficult also because it comes out of those three hours of darkness. And so to understand what, why Jesus said these words and what he really means by these words, we have to enter into what happens in that three hours of darkness, into verse 46. Because these words come out of, verse 45, sorry, these words come out of that period, that three hours of quiet. And so we have to go into that to know why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So let's pray as we begin this journey together. Lord, we ask that you would help us today. Because this is the most complicated and deepest word in the whole of scripture. And Lord, we just have to rely on your spirit to teach us and to guide our thoughts. May our thoughts today be shaped by you as we enter into that three hours of darkness. Speak to us, Lord, for we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. So what was happening from the sixth hour until the ninth hour before Jesus spoke these words? Well, the thing that we do know is that Jesus was obviously undergoing extreme pain, physical pain, excruciating pain. I heard a story about a baptism of King, I think it's, I don't even know how to pronounce it, Angus, let's just call him Angus anyway, by St. Patrick in the middle of the 5th century. And sometime during the rite of the baptism, St. Patrick leaned on his sharp-pointed staff and inadvertently stabbed the king's foot. And they carried on with the baptism and towards the end of the baptism, Patrick looked over and he, he noticed blood pouring out of the king's foot. And he realised what he'd done. And he begged the king for forgiveness. He said, why, why did you suffer in pain, in silence? And the king said, I thought it was part of the ritual, that I had to be stabbed in the foot, so I didn't say anything. But pain, physical pain, has a way of making us silent, doesn't it? When you go through pain, physical pain, you know, people come to you and go, oh, I, I understand, but nobody does, do they? When you, when you go through that pain, it's something that, that kind of, only you know how it's affecting you. You know, some people, some people get a paper cut. And they only notice it about a week later. And they go, that's funny, I've got this gap in my finger. Other people, it's like, oh, and they bandage it up with this bandage the size of a football. And they go around with a finger in the air like this and everybody's going, well, how do you? Oh, and they don't say paper cut at that point, do they? they go, oh, I lacerated my finger. 
you know. And then it's up in a sling, isn't it? And they're going around. And we kind of laugh about it, but actually, for some people, that kind of injury is nothing at all. And it doesn't really affect them. But for other people, it affects them really deeply. Some people have back pain, and they just carry on as normal. Other people are laid out flat and they can't move. It's not that they don't want to move, they just can't. Because it's laid them out. And pain has a way of of being unique to each one of us. The way it affects us, the the way it just works in us and through us. And the effect that it has upon us. And it tends to isolate us and and nobody can really understand when we're going through physical pain what we really feel like. Jesus was going through excruciating pain on the cross. He was beaten to an inch of his death. His back was and his front was ripped to pieces. There would have been skin hanging off his body. And then he's nailed to a cross. And on the cross people used to die because of, not their their injuries, but because of suffocation. Because the only way to breathe when you're on the cross, you had to lift yourself up. And the only way to lift yourself up is to pull yourself up on the nails that are holding you there. And so every breath that you take, you're, you're... You're going through excruciating pain in your body, physically, just to get enough oxygen into your lungs. That's why Jesus only said these seven short words. Every word would have cost you. And the longer you are there, the more it will cost you. And I'm sure when Jesus was on the cross and during those hours of darkness, he would have been focusing on the pain that he felt. You can't get away from it. And to give you enough energy and enough perseverance to continue, you have to mentally come upon it and fight against it, don't you? When you go through pain like that. It was excruciating for Jesus. And so part of that time he was in those three hours of darkness. He must have been focusing on the pain that he was feeling in his body. I heard about an Arab chief who tells a story about a spy that gets captured and the spy is sentenced to death by the general in the Persian army. Now this general has a strange custom of giving a condemned criminal a choice between a firing squad and the big black door. And as the moment of the execution draws near and the guards are all brought out and they all have their rifles pointed at this guy, the Persian general goes up to him and he says, you have a choice, what's it going to be? The firing squad in front of you or the big black door? Well, the spy hesitated for a long time. Actually, which would you choose? The door or the firing squad? Hands up firing squad. Hands up the door. Firing squad's got it, I think. 
The rest of you just are going to just stand there and not answer, aren't you? <laughs> Stall for time. Finally, he chose the firing squad. A few minutes afterwards, when the noise had all gone down, and they started to drag the dead body away, an aide turned to the general and said, What's all that about? And the general said, They always prefer the firing squad. Yet I always give the choice. So he said to him, what you want to know, what's behind the black door? Freedom, the general said. But I've only known a few brave people who take that choice. Most of us prefer what is known to the fear of what is unknown. But what we have to do in this passage of scripture now is to go through that black door into the unknown. So what I'm about to say to you is what I think Jesus must have been going through in those three hours. But it's the unknown through the black door. Because not only was Jesus suffering the physical pain of the crucifixion, but I believe he was also suffering the emotional pain. Firstly, the emotional pain of the rejection by his friends. You know and I know that when somebody lets you down, when somebody stabs you in the back, when somebody doesn't come through who's promised to come through, it's very hard And it takes a long time to get over that, doesn't it? You know, it's not easy. And I believe that Jesus, as he was there, some of the time he would have been thinking about his disciples. Why did Judas betray him? How could Peter have denied him? What about all the misunderstanding that they still didn't realise what was going on? And where are they now? They've all run away. Why couldn't have they stayed awake during Gethsemane? Why did they let him down when he needed them the most? And I'm sure that Jesus, part of what he was thinking would have been his thoughts about those three years of ministry. Did I do a good enough job? Did I prepare them? Well enough for what comes now? Is it okay? Lord, Father, are they going to be okay? And part of it is the emotional pain of having his friends let him down. But the second thing about the emotional pain, I think, is that it's also on the cross a terrible affront to who God is. Matthew records just a little bit before that above Jesus' crucifixion, above him, they nailed a sign. Verse 37. Above his head they placed the written charge against him. They used to do that for all prisoners. If you were a robber, they would put it up there, what your charge was. As a, as a descent, um, as a, a way in which other people would look at it and go, well, if, if he got caught for doing that, then I better not do it. 
But above it was written, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And it was written in three languages, in Latin, in Aramaic, in Greek, says in John's Gospel. Now Latin was the language of the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire what we see is the best of science, the best that humanity can come up with up to that time in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire went far and wide. They produced things that you know, we're still in using today in our world. They had underfloor heating systems. It's amazing what they came up with. The aqueducts that flew and transported water from one part to another. The roads that they built that we're still using in this country, some of them. Amazing, their ingenuity for doing things. It's also written in Aramaic. Aramaic is the language of the Jews. It's the language of the day. It's the language of faith. Some of the Bible is written in Aramaic. Jesus cries out in Aramaic. Jesus spoke in Aramaic to the people around him. It was the language of faith. In Greek, Greek is the language of culture and art. And culture and art knew no heights above the days of Jesus. And so what you have on the cross is the Creator, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords being crucified by the best that humanity can offer. The best in science, the best in faith, the best in arts and culture. All there crucifying the Creator of it all. And I think Jesus must have been offended by the way in which humanity thought so highly of itself that it could nail the Messiah to a cross. That's putting us up here and putting God down here. And that must have weighed heavily on Jesus. Why do they not understand? Why can't they get it right? Why? Why are they doing this, Father? The affront to God. Jesus knew what God is like. Jesus had come from the heavenly courts. Jesus could have called down angels and legions and everything else and wiped out humanity in one go. And yet here we have humanity laughing and mocking and insulting someone with so much power and authority the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And that must have weighed heavily on Jesus' heart as he hung there for those three hours. But I don't think it was just physical and emotional pain. But also in those three hours, Jesus experienced spiritual pain too. I think Jesus felt for the first time the complete awfulness of sin. You know, we treat sin quite lightly, really. You know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father, I don't know how to be there, thy kingdom come, no, 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 no. Forgive us this day. Oh, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass. How many times have we just said that without really thinking about our trespasses? 
How many times do we come in and say, Lord, I'm sorry, and then we go out and do the very same thing again? How many times do we just say, well, it's okay, I don't mind doing it because I've got forgiveness. I can say, Lord, I'm sorry, and it'll all be okay. We don't realise the debt to which sin pulls us down. The way it breaks us, the way it just destroys. It kills, it separates, it pulls us down, it stops us reaching the potential that God has placed within each one of us. And I think for the first time here in the cross, Jesus experienced the consequences of sin. Jesus was perfect. He had a perfect relationship with his Father. He had a perfect relationship with people around him. They might not have done to him, but he treated everybody right. He had a perfect relationship within himself and with all of creation. And yet here on the cross for the first time, he sees what sin really does. The way it rips us apart and pulls us to pieces. Because our sin was placed on Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says the darkness came on the earth. Verse 45. As an aside, there's an amazing documentary evidence for the darkness in Israel. Jewish historians have written about it. Roman historians have written about it. As well as Christian historians. There's loads and loads of evidence about the darkness that just came upon Israel. People didn't understand why, but they wrote about this strange day near Passover where darkness poured upon the earth. And why the darkness? Well, first of all, the darkness is about prophecy. In Amos 8, 9, Exodus 10, darkness is always a symbol of judgment. When there's darkness, it's because judgment of God is coming coming through humanity into his son. But secondly, I think it was dark for those three hours because what Jesus was doing in those three hours wasn't right for humanity to look at. In the three hours prior to that, humanity laughed and mocked and humiliated Jesus. But in these three hours from 12 till three, from the sixth to the ninth hours. What happens is that there is the crucifixion within the crucifixion. That Jesus receives our sin, our messed upness on himself. And I believe in that moment it becomes so holy and such a spiritual battle that God, in a sense, protects his son from all the mocking and the external stuff that's going on around. And says, you know what? My son needs to focus just on the spiritual battle that is going on right now. And so he brings this darkness, this enveloping darkness, so that all the words, all the mocking, all the insults, all the glances, all the stares stop. And Jesus can focus on that crucifixion within the crucifixion. 
You see, the Bible tells us that on the cross, Jesus took the curse of our sin. Ephesians 5.8, Colossians 1.13 Jesus entered into the darkness of sin, it says. Every lie, every murder, every act of revenge, every blasphemy, every evil deed, all pride and envy and hatred and sexual sin and immorality and wickedness and ungodliness, every rape, molestation, every abuse, injustice, every evil thought was placed on Jesus at that moment. Everything that this world has done and is doing and will do. He carried it all in that moment. The consequences was placed on Jesus because the wages of sin is death. And death means separation from God. And we can do nothing about that separation. And so Jesus had to do it for us. And he did it by taking what is rightfully ours, what we cause. And he says, let me take it on myself. And at that moment, during those three hours, when the darkness covered Israel, Jesus was plunged into the deepest darkness he had ever known. And all the brokenness of humanity was unleashed on Jesus at that time. I don't know all of this, of course. This is just my reflections on what Jesus may have been doing. But all I know is that out of that darkness, Jesus cries these amazing words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what do they mean? Well, it's Psalm 22. If you've got your Bibles, turn there with me. Psalm 22 is one of the most amazing psalms. A song of David, written centuries before. And Jesus, he can't quote the whole psalm. He hasn't got the energy to do that. But he says the first line. It's a psalm that every Jew would know. Every Jew learned Psalm 22. Because it's one of those psalms that says, when I'm in trouble, when I'm depressed, when I'm stressed, when I'm fearful, when I'm in danger, they would quote this psalm. It's a bit like if I were to say to you, the Lord is my shepherd, you know what comes next. I shall not be in want. And so Jesus said the first verse, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Because he knew that every Jew around him, standing there, would then understand exactly what he's trying to say. Let's look at the psalm really quickly. We're not going to read it all. But it's an amazing prophecy and picture of what happens on the cross. Look at it with me. Verse 6, what does it say? But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. That's what Jesus was, scorned by men, despised by people. Verse 7, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. That's exactly what happened. 
He trusts in the Lord, verse 8, let the Lord rescue him. That's what they cried out to him while he was hanging on the cross. Matthew 27, 42 and 43. Verse 14 talks about his exhaustion. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted away within me. That's the exhaustion that Jesus felt on the cross. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a pot's herb, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Matthew 27, 48, they said, they dipped the sponge in the wine vinegar and they held it out because his tongue and his mouth was so dry. Verse 16, dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men have encircled me. Look what it says, they pierced my hands and my feet. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. John 19, 24 is exactly what happens on the cross. It's an amazing picture of desperation, but a picture of exactly what Jesus went through on the cross. And yet the psalm changes at verse 19. Out of that despair, God, you've forsaken me. God, where are you? He says, but you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And look at verse 24. This is the key. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying that even in the deepest and the darkest moments of life, even when it feels like God is a million miles away from you and he's abandoned you, even then he has not hidden his face, but he's there listening and helping. He's not despised, he's not disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. But in the darkest possible moments of life, God is still there. I heard about a uh, Sunday school class the earlier, the, for little, just the little children. And this teacher found this new exciting thing to do in her class, just to get them moving and, and welcoming one another at the start of the, uh, of the Sunday school. She wrote this song called the Popcorn Song. And the children would crouch on the ground, and then every time she would start singing pop, 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 they'd all start jumping up and jumping around together. And it was a great way to get the kids all active and all involved. And it was going really well and every week she would start with the popcorn song and all these little kids would be jumping around and going pop, 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 pop all over the place. Until one Sunday when she did the popcorn song and a little child just stayed there on the ground and wouldn't jump up and start popping with all the others. And so she went over to the child and said, what's going on? Why are you not popping like all the other children? And the little child said, I'm burning in the bottom of the pan. You know, the world goes on merrily popping along sometimes, doesn't it? And people around us can be popping along as well. But sometimes, aren't we like that little child burning in the bottom of the pan?
Sometimes we are there saying, you know what, I don't feel like popping today. I don't feel like putting on my smiley face. Actually I'm hurting. And I'm hurting bad. You know, we come to church and we're all happy, aren't we? We all say, hi, 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 and we give each other high fives and we eat chocolate. Some of us eat chocolate anyway. But I know, and you know, that underneath all of that, we struggle. And underneath all of that, some of us are really hurting. You know the message of Jesus from the cross? That even in those darkest, deepest moments, God is there. That Jesus descended down into the pit, into the depths. That even when God feels like he's a mile away, in those blackest of moments for us in life, where our heart is just ripped apart, He is there. It's a psalm of victory. It's a psalm that says, which is why the people of Israel learnt it, I can be scared, I can be worried, I can be stressed, I can be in pain, I can be in anguish. I can be mourning such loss in my life. But God is there in the middle of it all, suffering with me, upholding me, and journeying with me through it all. I don't know what happened in those three hours on the cross. I don't know the pain that Jesus went through. But I do know that his Father and the Spirit were right with him. That whatever Jesus suffered, they suffered together. You know, Jesus taught his disciples on a sunny hillside in Galilee wants to pray our Father who art in heaven but here on a darkened hillside called Golgotha he also taught his disciples that we can pray our Father who art in hell and sometimes that's better because it's in the deepest darkest moments of our life that we need to know that God still loves us and that God is still with us travelling through those times until we get to the other side let us pray Lord we don't know what you went through in those three hours of darkness we don't know the depths we don't know the pain we don't know but we do know 
that you went there to the darkest places so that when we go through the valleys in our lives when our hearts are ripped apart when our lives are are stressed and messed up and, and we think it can't get any worse we know that you have been even further and that you will come with us and journey with us that you will never forsake us you will never ever leave us and so Lord if we're carrying stuff today pain in our lives guilt for things that we think we've done that has messed up our relationship with you whatever it is help us today to lay it down because that is why you went through those three hours to proclaim to us that even though we think we've messed up so bad that there is no depths to which we could fall that you haven't been deeper and further and come through and out the other side Lord your love is so amazing for us we don't deserve it we don't earn it but you give it and you won the right on the cross to give it to us help us to accept it and receive it and allow it to transform our lives for we ask this in the name of Christ Amen